Okay, with Kim Turner and Tony Faradelli, uh, Ted Lasso, Richmond Till We Die is the story, is the, the TV spec screenplay based on a very popular show. Uh, winner of the uh, comedy uh, festival for TV screenplay. What an interesting script. I'm a big fan of Ted Lasso. I've seen every episode. I've analyzed it. Uh, so looking forward to chatting with you guys. So tell me, how do you guys know each other? Where'd you guys meet? Um, Kim and I met online. I know it sounds like a dating site, but it's not. Um, we met through an uh, online writing group. Oh, that's uh, so cool. Probably about four years ago, five years ago now. And um, we're in the group together for a little while and then just stayed in touch after that. So what, what uh, Kim, what made you connect with Tony? What, what was the, what stood out for you guys to connect? I didn't actually uh, connect with, I, I want to say that uh, about two years ago, uh, both of us were, it's funny because we're both comedy writers, like, we're, ha, 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 comedy, comedy, comedy. Yeah. And both of us were in such an existentially dark place a couple of years ago that uh, un, unbidden, unknown to either one of us, we both wrote feature screenplays that were the darkest, saddest, most dramatic and depressing thing that extant. And it was um, each, weirdly, it was both about a person, a very damaged person who rescues a child. Both of our <laughs> scripts were the same. And so we swapped scripts and we're like, holy crap. And uh, then we both spent, I think, six months trying to cheer each other up. So we uh, we, we started writing comedy back and forth together. You know, hey, are you watching? And he had um, the nascent idea. He had the kernel for uh, Richmond Till We Die. And we just started flipping it back and forth. So what, uh, what, so what have, you, have you, either of you written a, a spec before, a TV script spec before? I haven't. No, I have not either. I I had to search the banks there for a second, but no, I haven't. <laughs> so, what propelled you for Ted Lasso? Like, why did you guys decide decide? Okay, let's collaborate on a Ted Lasso spec. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we were we were talking as Kim mentioned. We both wrote kind of a dark script, and I, that was last year. That I go. I just don't want to write. It was a lonely process in writing it. So I reached out to Kim and I said, you know, you're the top of my list on who I want to write with. And we just, we both like Ted Lasso. Um, we started talking a little bit about it and it, it was easy. is not the right word, but it was a, it was a easy choice because <clears throat> we wanted, it was our first project together and we both knew and loved Ted Lasso. So it's one of those where, you know, you, you don't have to build the world. You don't have to build the characters. You could just get right into the story. Mm -hmm. And as, as Kim said, we had an idea. And Ted Lasso, I think, overall is about a fish out of water. But this is truly like a fish out of water um, with Ted and the team. And Kim had the, the, the idea for the ending. She goes, I know how it ends. And which is always easier for me to write. So we just kind of, you know, did a did an outline. We kind of knew how the the acts would go and where it would end. And then we just started writing kind of a divide and conquer type thing. That's so cool. So you guys just like, so what would the process be? Like you would, you guys kind of had to, to see the core, the core idea. And then would you just like write a page or a couple of pages, send it to her, or vice versa? And then you would like, what was the process? You guys would re-edit each other's work? Like, what's the world like? Because you guys are not living in the same place. You can obviously talk on the phone, obviously talk on Zoom, right? But 
what was the kind of how was the cloud how did the collaboration work well tony uh tony had the cold open he had he had the cold open he knew exactly how that was going to be and i i want to say that we both kind of uh fed each other in the first act like let's let's set this thing and let's have this little kernel of something happen here in the first act and um he and when we finished collaboratively the first act he said let me take a stab at the second act right yeah and i and i love this i told it i said did you ever see it was it was a million years ago it was called great balls of fire it was jerry lee lewis yeah and uh i said did you there was a part in there where jerry lee lewis has to go he doesn't get to finish he's he's with a group of of musicians and he doesn't get to be the last one and he's really mad about it because he's got the number one hit yeah. And so he goes out on stage and he plays Great Balls of Fire and he sets fire to the piano and he's walking off stage. He's like, well, top that champ, you know, because he's burned the piano down. When yeah. he sent me his second act, I went, you burned the piano. What am I? How am I supposed to follow this? Because I, I, I had to do the, the final act. I had to do act three. And I was like, you, you set fire to the piano because you're that freaking good. And I and I did have like a moment of existential dread. I was like, I'm not as good as Tony is and I can't do this. And then when you let that go, when you when you don't allow yourself to derail yourself, then you can find tap into the creative. And I was just I tried to be truthful when I when I'm scared to death. I just try to be truthful. And so I was truthful to the characters and um like they like they train you in Second City and everywhere. It's truth, there's comedy and truth. You can mine the comedy and truth. So I feel like the third act, um, it tied everything up. It answered a lot of questions and it did it with heart and humor. And that's that's really the essence of the whole script, the well, whole show. I have to say that that's the whole show. I have to say that's one of my favorite answers I've heard in a long time. <laughs> Cause it's like, it's, it's a great, it's a great process of your, of your ego, your insecurity, the process of creating it's, it's like, like how to, and then when you're collaborating too, right? Like, cause it's like, you're always kind of like, you're not battling with the person, but there's like, there's a, there's that competitive spirit, I guess. Right. But then there's also that collaboration, like, cause you're on the same team, you're trying to get, the job done, I get the best job done possible, I guess, right? Yeah, I didn't ever feel like I was competing with Tony. No. What, what, I, what I felt specifically was I didn't want to disappoint him. Gotcha. I, I didn't want him to regret having asked to partner with me. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I'm, I was competing with Kim. Not to generalize, it's probably a male thing. I'm saying competing, it's probably, yeah. You know, I mean, part of it, yes. Um, Cause I, I like grew up doing sports. So I kind of have that competitive side of it, but I think part of it too, is you, you go like, I mean, and Kim downplayed the third act because the third act was brilliant. And, you know, you read it and you go, fuck. And it, I'm sorry. Can I say fuck? So, um, and it was just perfect. Like it brought everything together, but I think there is, at least from my part, a competitive aspect of it because so we were both in improv and I yeah. know improv gets kind of a, everybody makes fun of it, the yes and, but there's truth, it's truth about it. I mean, once you do the yes, to me, the and comes in and it's, and I got to make it better. And yeah. so when Kim, you know, she, she, we did kind of did the first act, Kim did most of the first act, but you read it and you go when that yes, cause you trust, you have to trust kind of where, where the, 
if you if you're writing in a team, you have to trust where the other writer's going. And then the end is, and now I have to make it better because it's already at this level. Mm-hmm. I have to bring it up to this level. And so I think there's always Kim, and I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna just be honest. Kim wrote one of her features, uh, Christy Got Cancer, is the best script I've ever read. And I'm not saying that to make you know anything, it truly is. And I told Kim, I go, I was mad the entire time I read it because the competitive side of me came and goes, you know, like, fuck, I wanted to write that. I wanted to write that. And so I would suggest you go to Coverfly, Kimberly Turner 2, <laughs> Kimberly Turner 1, she's a mess. Go to Kimberly Turner 2, download Christy Got Cancer because it truly is. And then what Kim was saying before, the truth, I mean, that is one of the best, most truthful funniest scripts I've ever read so the competitive side in me is like yeah I know I want to I want to not only achieve with the level but I want to take it up to the next level another level so okay so uh in terms of your script itself okay so you when you're writing a spec you kind of obviously it has to be you can't kind of create your own plot pushing forward so you you got to kind of place it almost kind of like a sandwich episode where it could it works anywhere and kind of in the series it's kind of like, but you're still kind of like respecting the tone of the show and also the characters as well. And you make obviously you have to write for Ted. You have to make sure Rebecca's in there. You have to make sure Beard is in there. Um, and you got to make sure that kind of like the the core characters in the and the script are there. I guess right. So so that started to get to the A plot, B plot, C plot, and kind of try to like make sure that it all kind of like finesses within the 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 the, the formula of the show. I guess correct. Correct. Yes. Uh, well, we abs- we sat down and, and since Tony had the idea of what what if the team wasn't on the pitch yeah. at one time, like what if what if something happened to the pitch? And so we we sat down and we asked the questions that we as fans of Ted Lasso felt like, hey, man, they got dumped by a billion dollar company for sponsorship. So yeah. now they're with like Tinder doesn't that affect their pocketbook? And we, we, so we had real questions that we, that we then like, okay, if they, if this actually was a problem, how would it manifest in, yeah. in the story? Like, obviously Rebecca would try to keep it from everybody. Obviously if Rupert found out about it, he would exploit it, you know? So it would just, the, the B and C storylines kind of naturally evolved from our own questions about things that have happened in Ted Lasso in the last two seasons. Mm. But you, but you, uh, you left out Nate, I guess, right? Because after the second season, Nate kind of goes off on his own and you kind of know, don't know where his character kind of resides, I guess, right? Right. I, I feel like it, it, it addressed Nate in a, in a way that was respectful to how they have, where they took him at the end of season two, mm-hmm. that he's extremely competitive. He's extremely isolated. So I think that that actually magically happens in the story. You see how isolated he is but how every part of that world that he's left still matters to him. Yeah. It's a heel turn. He turned heel in uh, the second, it's a wrestling term, but it's like, I, that's what, I think that's what uh, the Jason Sudeikis called it. He's like, we were going to turn one of the main characters heel. Right. So, and it was like a kind of a gradual, you didn't see it coming, I guess. But yeah, it, you did. yeah. it's how they did it was really masterful and how they gave him a perspective was just, you were so angry at him. You felt so betrayed, like all of the rest of the characters. 
but you see how he felt angry and betrayed. Yeah. It was, it was just mad. I, man, it is such an honor to even have anything to do. Like even in the, the, the outside of the bubble of that world feels so, um, it feels ethereal. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and I guess like he, uh, and like you, you, he, you, they humanized them too, right? They saw they had the relationship with his parents. They saw who his dad was. They saw his insecurity with like the opposite sex and like sort of him like being kind of like he's been bullied as a, as a child, right? So he's sometimes been bullied they, as an adult. He's, he's no, yeah, exactly. Up until like the end of season one. So when and then Ted is like Ted's got his got shit going on, right? I think like they said. I think if you when we watch the show, they're never in the same scene together until the last episode, right? The last scene in the last episode. And if you're really paying attention, uh, Nate tries to take ownership of his momentary indiscretion, poor, poor choice with Keely yeah. that she doesn't take sexually, which is huge. Sure. And then he tries to tell that to Roy and Roy's like, so what? You're not, not a threat. I'm not threatened by you. Yeah. And I mean, you just see him constantly get cut down by where he's trying to find a toehold into evolving and he and and so he he turns to the dark side like it, you see how easy that can happen i think Tony, that's- you're alluding to masculinity but that's like cutting your masculinity at the knees when you kiss someone's girlfriend they don't even care right masculinity but also humanity like yeah. Yeah. i think that's a i don't want to get too too deep sure. right now but um but i think that's an important thing for us to look at as a society like when we when we diminish a person whether it's intentionally or unintentionally they they turn to what's easy and what's easy is to be angry and to hate and resent and so i think that's what they've done with nate i i believe in the writers of ted lasso i think they'll find a way to uh uh, you know, give him, give him a way, give him a path back. I hope he chooses it, but I think that's something for all of us to take a look at is to be empathetic, which is, I think what Ted tries to do, but he, but we miss the mark. Like even when we're trying, we sometimes miss the mark. And so that's what that whole thing was to me, uh, viewing it as a writer. Yeah. And I, and I also think too, it's like, that's one of the things that both Kim and I like about <clears throat> Ted Lasso is the way they treat kind of larger issues with, I mean, some seriousness, but heartfelt as well. And as we were kind of, you know, talking about kind of the, some of the elements of the, the spec screenplay, we had, you know, we, we touched on some elements. There was some other elements that we had thought about that we wrote as part of the first draft, but didn't make it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the way the Kim brought the third act together, um, I, I, I love because it kind of touches, goes through all the characters, all the main characters and their reactions um, to, you know, what is, you know, the, the, the overall, the, the script is about when Ted Lasso and the team take over for May and run the crown and anchor and they, they mess it up. And so all of them kind of are dealing with, that big problem but then their own little problems there and then you kind of bring it all together like what we like about Ted Lasso is just the way it touches on on all that in a heartfelt way yeah 100 percent and what did you like yeah like like I guess there was like the, some blowback with the the season two of like I, I thought it was amazing because like you guys were talking at the beginning about like being in a depressed state like they really like brought 
because, you know, Ted was a kind of a caricature in season one. He had the good one-liners. He was like, always the optimist. And they're like, okay, what's behind that optimism, right? And so they really kind of like opened up the, the Ted Lasso kind of uh, psychology. And of course they brought in the therapist and they really like said, okay, like who is, who is this guy? Why is he oh, so optimist? Like what's going on there? And it's a, it was a gutsy thing that they did because it was like, they, they decided like, we're going to make it more drama than comedy kind of a thing, I guess. Right. Like every scene, the first season was like led with funny, right. Oh, every scene ended with a, with funny moment. And this season was like, they didn't do that. It just like it changed its tone, I guess. Right. They did, but I, I didn't find uh, Ted's dimension lacking in the first season. In fact, I was a huge fan, I, I want to say almost, I'm certain from the first episode, because how they they laid this thread of the cost of Ted's optimism. They laid it in the very first episode. Well, I guess, right? Right. And so when, when Jason Sudeikis uh, chose to have Ted Lasso have a panic attack while the team is celebrating a win, I, I think I dropped to the floor. I think I dropped to the floor and had to hide under my coffee table because I, you, you feel alone. You feel, you feel alone in this thing that you go through. And when I, when I saw, oh my God, that's a pan- he's having a panic attack. I'm going to have a panic attack. I'm going to have a sympathy panic attack for his panic attack. And it, and, and I felt all of a sudden I felt like I wasn't alone. <laughs> I know everybody apparently has panic attacks now, but I didn't have a name for it back in the day when I had them. And when I watched somebody on screen have it, it was, it was so authentic. It was so, it so bonded me to that eternal, like for eternally, if, if they all needed segments of one of my kidneys, I would have absolutely signed up the next day. It, it just, it, uh, it gave it dimension. It gave it, it gave it cost. It gave it depth. Um, and, and you got to see all of these people and how, how beautiful Ted's perspective was. It costs him dearly in his life, but his insight into human nature, he, he doesn't often swing and miss. So that, that's an, an amazing thing. Like if you can just help everybody to the path of their best self, yeah. like to see their path of their best self. He, he gives Roy a wrinkle in time. He says, cause you're a leader. And Roy's like, damn it, I'm a leader. How do you know that? But that said, like what they what they did with Nate, it was like because I've had bosses like that who were like they were like they put you on a pedestal. They're like, oh, you're the best. We love you. We love you. We love you. And they can't sustain that that for very long. Right. So then like it could last a year at best. But then that 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 eventually will subside. And like Nate was put on a pedestal by Ted. Ted like championed him and loved him. And then all of a sudden the second season, he wasn't he had his own shit he had to take care of. And then Nate right. was I mean, like if you, if you and it was it, it was showing he was he's a flawed leader as well, right? Like about because he can't sustain that that with everybody, right? With that kind of like that kind of personality, I guess, right? I think, but I, I think it's an interesting that you could have a whole discussion about it's not sustainable because you need to evolve. Yeah. It's not sustainable because you can't live in that bubble of constantly being adored and constantly being lifted up. There's an expectation that you need to take the next step whether it's writing or whether it's coaching a, a premier league football team, whatever it is, you need to evolve. We can't stasis is where you die. You know, yeah. just staying here is where you die. You have to keep moving to the next thing. So I think Ted's expectation, if I, if I had to put a name to it is that 
he would that Nate would take that opportunity to become the next thing, to take these tools and become even greater than he was. That's that's everybody's hope for anybody, whether you're a parent or a writer or or whatever, is that you evolve into the next thing. Mm-hmm. And and I think they, you know, the thing I like about is they take, like I said, the the sometimes the deep subjects and they put a, a heartfelt spin on it, but they also address the underlying issues when you had, you know, Ted's divorce in the first issue and you had Jamie and the issue he had with his father. Um, those are all deep subjects that I think they did well. And I came to Ted Lasso a little late. Um, I had just got done watching Shit's Creek, which I love the way they evolved those characters. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, watch Ted Lasso and I go, oh, this is, this is, you know, really good because I, I love that. I love when you yeah. are able to balance comedy and drama uh, in such a in such a eloquent manner yeah. um, that you end up leaving the episode of oh wow you went deep but I, I feel good at the end of this episode yeah it's uh, it's funny because the the other like uh, his his battery mate on SNL Bill Hader has a show called Barry and he's almost doing the same thing on Barry too right like he's He's like, it's a comedy, but then he gets like, I don't know if you watch the show, but like he's getting dark, like he's getting really dark with his uh, his show, just like Jason Sudeikis. And, you know, I'm curious what's going to happen with season three of Ted Lasso. We're like, because really, yeah, like you said, it's, it's like that's it's, it's core. It's a, it's a fish out of water story. But obviously they're adding like so much death and humanity to it, I guess, too. Right. Which makes you guys want to write a spec for it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. It's like, it's like you said, it's evolving. It's like we're seeing storytelling evolve. It's not just like, you know, set up punchline, set up punchline for comedies, I guess, right? Yeah. It's so, it, it's so actually uh, progressive. It's so, uh, when Rebecca and Keely were friends, uh, as they have, have evolved into best friends, that the nature of that relationship has changed for even for me, like how you see women in traditional comedies, right? Like it always becomes a competition and it always becomes a thing. And then a third woman comes in and, and they get catty and, and it didn't happen. They all just lift the it up. And I was like, holy crap, like that can happen. We can have that. We can have that in, in contemporary media, you know? And it was, and it felt so amazing to watch. Again, it's that representation. You're like, oh yeah. My girlfriends and I lift each other up. We pick each other up when you're down and you you like, you got this, go get it, you know? And that's what it is for everybody is, is somebody in the world turning to you and saying, you got this, you're okay. And I feel like that's what Ted Lasso was for us collectively as a, as a television viewing audience at a moment that we exactly needed that message. Like, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. You got this, pick yourself up and, and be kind. And so that message, yeah. If I sit here for the rest of my lonely little life writing fanfic for Ted Lasso, I will do it all day long. So let's assume Ted Lasso. Don't tell yourself short. <laughs> assuming that you're, I guess you're a fan. That's so awesome that that since you're such a both such a huge fan, I gotta ask you one last question about it. What did you think about the standalone beard episode? Because it's obviously it's polarizing that episode where they just gave him his own episode. Um, I'll go first. I, I loved it. I, I love when um, 
when they take a chance like that, because you knew it wasn't in the, the typical Ted Lasso, although it did have, um, I, I think some of the same elements from it taking some dark subjects and putting a good heartfelt spin on him. But I love the episode because I love his character. And it also brought in um, Jeremy, I'm drawing blank on the other two. Baz. Baz. Oh, the, the bar guys, yeah. Yeah, and, and, it, and it brought like depth to their character as well. And it was a nice mesh between that. Um, so I loved it. I, I also, I very much enjoyed exploring the backstory of this mind like you you if you are paying attention from the very very beginning he gets everything and he makes it his job to get everything he's he's immediately studying you know the rules and and everything to do on the plane you know so here's this guy and he's incredibly complex he's a genius chess player he's a chess master you know, arbitrarily in his spare time. So yeah. yes, everything about Beard, who we who we don't we get to see his interaction with Ted and a handful of other people, but but nothing escapes his scrutinous gaze, which is how he's the first one alerted to Nate. He's paying attention, and yeah. and Nate's be, Nate's become a bully, and who's the first one to get it? Beard. So I I love seeing his world, and I love him giving the bar guys a little shot in the arm like let's go be let's go be amazing guys for one night if yeah. this is what we do you know and to share the wealth you know and that and again it's empathy and kindness come on let's go for a ride get in the car with me let's go for a ride you know yeah. and that's what we deserve that like. we deserve like it's the class system in in the uk even obviously in the states as, as well like the like that it's like we deserve that bar we deserve to go to that high class bar right so like we we're just like everybody else, right? Sort of like we should be like, there's no like everybody's the same. It's like he's got that kind of socialistic kind of mindset. And the same. But we're but we but we could be better just by yeah. pretending that we're better. Like 100%. all we have to do is say we're better, and yeah. then everybody immediately falls to our feet because we are better. I love that idea. I love that concept. <laughs> like it's all that thing that people think they want is illusion. And all I have to do is say it. And if I say it confidently enough. You yeah. will believe me. Yeah. If I tell you that I have an Emmy sitting on a shelf over here, you're going to believe it until the moment I turn my computer and you see that, that whether or not it's there. So it's a Schrodinger's Emmy right now until it exists. Yeah. It just like there was that, I don't know if you guys saw that Scorsese movie After Hours, basically, like I think it was in the 80s. It was like it was like they they were giving a tribute to this movie. Right. Like it's like. It's like Griffin Dunn, this actor, goes out to the, in the night and it's like the night never ends. There's always shenanigans. Yep. It was like a movie. He made, they made a movie within the context of the show, I guess, right? Right. Yeah. So, well, that's so awesome. Yeah, this is a really solid spec. I hope we served you well with it. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and I'm glad you guys submitted the festivals. And I guess, like, what is your, is there some sort of, like, business game plan? Do you guys want to get uh, the, like, a comedy team? Or are you guys just doing this for fun and you send the festivals to see how it reacted? Like, is there any sort of agenda that you guys have that we can help you out oh, with? Oh yeah, no, world domination for sure. Like, oh yeah, no, we're taking over. You'll, you'll save this, save this. Cause yeah. you, you get to say you were here first. No, you yeah. don't want to dominate the world. You're a lover. You're like, you're a peaceful person. <laughs> oh, we all, we all have that streak, man. But I will be a benevolent dictator as they all say. And I'll be your vice president. That's how we are moving. Um, but no, we do, yeah, definitely 
we have um, a top secret project that we just finished. We have some other ideas, but I do want to thank you, Matthew, and, and your festival and Wild Sound, because one we talked about is not a lot of festivals accept script, uh, spec scripts. And that's important because, you know, we talked about kind of the easy thing of writing it was the world's built, the characters built, but you have to kind of emulate their voice and get the tone and the style of the, of the, the show. And yeah. that's the hard part. And, you know, that deserves to be recognized. So I think, you know, you accepting the spec scripts and doing all this, the podcast and the, and the blog um, where, is appreciated. Very well, much so. Thank you. Thank you. And everybody there for the live reading you did. We, we really loved that. It was yeah. uh, really fun. If so, if somebody, if you're watching this link and you haven't seen, they do a reading of the of the cold open, and it's really well done. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So, yeah, well, it's, it's tough because you guys, everybody kind of remembers knows the characters in the show, but yeah, I appreciate that. So, okay, so thank you so much for this. This is awesome. It was such a great conversation to have about about the show, and obviously about storytelling and uh, screenwriting in general. You guys are really onto something. So, I hope the top secret project, quote unquote works out and you guys can keep writing. It seems like you guys are a pretty dynamic team and you just like for, for uh, people to know you're in, so you're Tony, you're in Denver, right? Colorado. I'm in Denver. And you're in Louisiana. I am. I'm uh, in Mandeville, about an hour North of new Orleans. So that's two time zones away. So that's probably what I'm assuming an 18 hour drive, maybe 24 hour drive. So you guys are, have you guys met in person ever? You guys Jim ever has, met in person? Jim has family out here. So we're hoping she comes out and, okay. uh, and then we'll meet in person. What if you don't like each other when you meet each other in person? Like, what if you guys- We get actually, we did a sliding doors thing at Austin Film Festival. Oh, we plan right. on doing that again this year. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, maybe that's so cool that, that in today, that's another thing too, like in today's world that you guys never made this great script and you guys never, has never met in person. That's kind of amazing. It um, is. Yeah. We, Technology yeah. makes it easier. It does. Yeah. This, this was the right outlet for this time. Like us being able to do this kind of thing has, has given us a doorway. Well, congratulations. And let's talk again when you guys uh, finish your top secret project. Okay. Ted Lasso, Richmond Till We Die, Season 3, Interior Utility Shed, Night, Dark. A cheery, drunken, a cappella version of Richmond Till We Die is heard off screen. Heavy footsteps. A light goes on to reveal Nigel, 50s, groundskeeper, his Richmond fan gear stretched tight across his belly. He struggles to remove a can of lager from the plastic yoke that is currently imprisoning six of his beverage of choice. After a brief struggle, he gives up and pops one open, dangling all six cans above his maw as the elixir flows down. He's two and a half sheets to the wind, but the night is early. He wobbles into the large garage door, opens it, and stumbles into the darkness. Incoherent mumbling. Click. POV from Shed. The AFC Richmond's pristine practice pitch is flooded in light. Nigel seesaws his way to a large riding mower, Fishes out a large key ring with several keys. The three cans dangling from his hand don't help. 
identifies the right key, and, like a virgin, after several missed attempts, finds the hole. The engine turns over, and Nigel forces it into gear. The mower lurches. Backward. Crash. Bloody hell. He gets it moving forward and weaves it out of the shed. Exterior, practice pitch, night. Nigel slowly makes the first swath down the field. We're Richmond till we die. Richmond till we die. We know we are. We're sure we are. That's my boys. He looks back and sees a wavy line in the grass. He attempts to release another logger from the plastic holder. Fails. The mower weaves. Another attempt. Another fail. The line gets wavier. Bloody hell. Frustrated, he opens the next still-attached logger and drinks. The other full cans sway in unison above his face as the mower bumps along. On another pass, Nigel slowly leans forward. Sleep creeps in. The now-empty cans drop from his hand. The mower weaves and jerks him awake. Next pass, Nigel slumps forward. This time, no wakey-wakey. The mower lumbers to a row of upright sprinklers. Closer. 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 Thunk. 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 As the mower passes over, geysers erupt from where the sprinklers used to be. The mower finally hits a goalpost and stops. Nigel rolls off, fully passed out. The geysers continue. Exterior, practice pitch, morning. Ted Lasso and Coach Beard stand over a still-passed-out Nigel, lying in the muck. They switch their gaze to the practice pitch. It's a freaking lock. A broken sprinkler makes a half-hearted attempt and barely breaks the plane of the water. It's like a poor man's Bellagio. Coach Beard lifts his soaked shoes and gives Nigel a few light taps with his shoe. Just then, Leslie Higgins sloshes to Ted and Beard. His eyes widen. Welcome to Lake Pitch, Higgy. Lock. Lock? Lock. L-O-C-H. It's Scottish for lake. It would be, welcome to Lock Pitch. Nigel turns over and mumbles a few incoherent words. You confiscate his keys? Higgins nods. So, if I permanently ban Nigel from accessing the shed and turning the pitch into a water feature, what did I have? You'd have a lock. On a lock. On a lock. Now you're making my head spin. And in a good way, not in a scary movie-type way. The groundskeepers say it'll be at least two weeks before we can use the field again. They all look at the lock. I'll see if I can find us a temporary pitch. Uh, hold on a sec, Higgy. I appreciate the effort, but maybe the fellas could use a few days off. We've been running them pretty hard. Ted looks down at his shoes, sinking deeper into the sod. Now how about we get ourselves somewhere dry before I need those little thingamajigs for the arms? Floaties? I know where it's dry. Crown and anchor. I think I could use a drink. I'm my Leica. No! End of cold open.